Take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter 5 verse 1. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a story of a man who lived in the 1500's who one afternoon found himself walking down an old dirt road in Germany. As he's walking, the storm rose up around him and became something fierce so that he was greatly troubled, greatly afraid of this surrounding storm. And on his way down this dirt road, a lightning bolt struck close enough to him to cast him to the ground. And lying on his back, he would recall later in his life that in that moment, he cried out to the Lord, Lord, if you save me from this storm, I shall become a monk. This man was not a religious man. He was, um, if, if you wanted to claim him to be religious, he was lazy in his religion and he was more mystic than anything in his beliefs. But he knew enough in that moment in time that he could cry out in some fashion to a God of some sort. He was not a believer in that moment, but he did cry out, Lord, if you save me from this storm, I shall become a monk. And this man, in that moment, was set on a path that would ultimately be the greatest blessing for the modern day church. Because this man was Martin Luther, who was the leader of the Protestant Reformation. And Martin Luther would become a believer later, but in that moment in time, God had got his attention in such a way and began to call him out and set him apart for a unique service. He would be God's instrument to rescue the gospel from the darkness of the world in his time. And I tell you that story to say to you that our God is a God who calls people to join him in service with him. He calls us out and He sets us apart and He works within us in such a way to use us in spite of our faults, in spite of ourselves, to join with Him in proclaiming the Gospel and reaching the world for His glory. We may not all have the same dramatic experience as Martin Luther, but if you are a Christian, God does call you to serve Him in the same way nonetheless. That's the beautiful truth of our God. That He doesn't just save you and leave you alone and leave you to flounder and figure out this life and wander around. He actually saves you, redeems you, begins sanctifying you, and calling you to join in the great blessing of seeing souls saved by His grace. You and I, by God's sheer mercy and goodness, get to play a part in kingdom work, in kingdom advancement. You and I get to walk with the Lord in service in this world. That is an honor for us as Christians. That's our calling as believers. We do not render perfect service to the Lord and He does not need our service, but nonetheless... We are created in such a way that we are most satisfied and most delighted when we join Him in His work. Unless we 
be confused. I want to stress to you this morning, that isn't the calling or the plan for some select few like Martin Luther. It is the calling and plan for everyone who comes to Christ in faith. You are called as a Christian to join Him in His work. To join Him in His service. In fact, in Scripture, we learn that He calls all of His children, whether they be kings like David or fishermen like Peter, He calls them all to walk alongside Him in advancing His glory. That's the blessing of a disciple, and that's what you and I are called to be. Disciples. That's what we find in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Jesus calling His first, first disciples. He calls as we are very familiar with, he calls common, uneducated, non-priestly men to join him in his service who will become, by his grace, the foundation of the church, the pillars of the gospel, the ones who will actually change the world, and the ones that through whom you and I hear the gospel today. Primarily, we see him having a conversation with one of these men in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, who is a foot in the mouth kind of guy, Peter. And really, we should take some kind of courage and encouragement from this that if the Lord can call someone like Peter, he can call anyone to his service. He makes disciples of those whom he redeems. And that's what we learn from Luke chapter 5 this morning. We will look at. Jesus calling Peter to discipleship, but what we really find is the general call to discipleship for us all. In chapter 4, if you remember, the Lord has cast out a demon in verse 31 and on. He's healed many people of their sicknesses and He's proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God in verse 43. All of those things, He's stressing His authority as the Messiah. Now in chapter 5, He's putting His authority to action by calling people to serve along with him, namely Peter. And what we will find of Peter is going to be true of us all in our calling as disciples. Peter's calling is, in fact, our calling. The work that Jesus gives to Peter is the work that he gives to all believers, all those who are redeemed. So if you are a Christian... Here's the point. You are to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. You are to work alongside Him. You are to exercise the spiritual gifts that He blesses you with. The Bible knows nothing of a lackadaisical, agnostic Christian. Scriptures know nothing of rendering no service to Christ. All believers are called to exercise those spiritual gifts to work alongside the Lord to serve with him. And so if we're called to be a disciple, we have an important question that we will find answered in Luke chapter 5. What are the characteristics of a disciple? What are those marks that belong to faithful, true disciples of Jesus Christ? What are those markings that should be upon our hearts and our lives? Well, let's look in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 here, real quickly this morning. And as we see Peter's Calling unfold, we'll see these same principles that should be applied to our lives. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. 
And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. The first mark we learn of a true disciple is found in verse 1, 2, and 3. You must be exposed to Christ. True disciples are exposed to Christ. And what I mean by that is they sit under the teachings of Jesus. They know the teachings of Jesus. They grow in the teachings of Jesus. And they strive to adhere to the teachings of Jesus. That is a mark of a true disciple. To submit to Christ's own words is the very basic requirement of discipleship. You cannot be a disciple and deny His Word, can you? And you cannot be a disciple and be careless about His Word. True, faithful, genuine disciples of Christ sit under His teachings, glean His teachings, love His teachings, are exposed to His teachings. They feed upon His words. As we come to Luke 5, we see that Jesus' popularity has spiked. And the crowds of people are now gathering around Him and they're actually pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God. They're, they're encircling Him and encompassing Him to hear Him preach. Which, by the way, is a testimony that the human soul really does long for the Word of God. Though they may reject the truth, we are built in such a way that our, our most satisfaction comes from hearing God's Word preached Rightly and adequately. So this crowd of people is pressing in upon the Lord to hear Him. And He needs to now withdraw from them. Get some distance between Himself and them. One for His own safety so they don't crush Him. But also so that He can be seen and heard by them. So Luke tells us he, he sees a couple of boats. He turns and he decides I'm going to make one of these boats my pulpit. And not by any accident or coincidence totally by his purposeful design he gets in Simon's boat and he asks Simon go ahead and put out in the water and let me teach a little bit and in verse 3 he sat down and he taught the people from the boat we have no idea what he taught and we have no idea how long he taught but one thing we do know for sure Peter had a front row seat 
And he was exposed to every word that Jesus said. In fact, he was closer than anyone else in the crowd. He could hear better than anyone else in the crowd. It was his own boat now that the Lord was using as his pulpit. He had heard, Peter had heard Jesus teach before on several occasions, but now Jesus is teaching out of his own boat and Peter has a front row seat. And it would be wrong of us to assume that this did not affect Peter. In fact, when we come to the end and we see how willing he is to, to leave everything and how eager he is to follow Jesus, we can safely assume that these words of Christ being taught from Peter's own boat rung true with his heart. For Peter would not disagree with Christ and yet follow Him in such a manner. He must have known these words are true words. These words change my soul, spark within me life, and I'm willing to follow this man. I agree with him. His words ring true to me. That's the mark of a disciple. To expose yourself in such a way to the teachings of Christ that you would know them to be ringing true to your heart. That they would pierce your heart and change your heart and touch your heart and provide a solid foundation of conviction within your heart. Can you say that to be true about yourself with Christ's Word? Are you so moved right now in your state of life today? Are you so moved by the Word of Christ to know that you will follow Him based just solely upon what He says? Would you bear this mark of a disciple? True disciples desire to sit at His feet. Desire to glean His teachings. They desire to know where He stands on certain issues and circumstances. They desire to know what He thinks about certain things. They desire to know what He desires of them and of creation. They desire to know His heart. And you cannot do that unless you sit at His feet and glean his teachings. This is the mark of a disciple. And church, I'll tell you right now, this is where many people begin to be weeded out of the equation. So many people want the benefit of Christ, but they do not want the words of Christ. They do not want the truth of Christ. True disciples hunger for the truth of Christ. I'm not saying and calling, this is not a calling to perfect knowledge of Christ or perfect knowledge of His Word. It is a calling instead of a genuine hungering for the words of Christ. Do you desire to feed on Scripture? For that is the first mark of a true disciple. Church, let me just tell you, that's why we emphasize the Word of God here. That's why we want to teach the Word of God. That's why we want to preach the Word of God. That's why we want to build everything that we do upon the foundation of Scripture. That's why we offer so many Bible studies as a church. That's why we encourage personal Bible study because we want you to sit at the feet of Jesus, read His words, know His heart, and be moved by Him to be a disciple. If you were being honest in your heart this morning, ask yourself the question, how do you rate your own Bible study habits? today let me tell you you don't have to be in seminary to understand scripture you've been given the greatest blessing in the holy spirit who will guide you into truth and illuminate god's word in your heart you yourself and open the pages of scripture and know god 
but do you do it? Oh, none of us are perfect. But is there a desire? That's the first mark of a disciple. That's what we see in Peter. He got to sit and glean the teachings of Christ, have a front row seat, and it will and does move him in his heart. The second mark of a disciple is found in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. You must trust in Christ and obey Christ. Second mark of a disciple, you must trust in Christ and you must obey Christ. You must have a heart that will blindly trust Him. For those of us who are Christians know that God often calls us to do things that does not always make sense. And He often calls us to take steps where there is no light and we cannot see what is in front of us. But we must nonetheless trust Him and obey Him. That is what we see happen here in Luke 5. After Jesus has taught in the boat, He turns now to Simon Peter in verse 4 and He tells him to do something that for Peter, is quite uncommon. It's, it's an unusual request. He looks at him and he says, put out into the deep and there let down your nets for a catch. This is uncommon for Peter for a, a couple of reasons. Number one, the best fishing was done at night. That's why Peter will say to him in verse 5 in a, in a, a little bit of a protest, we, we toiled all night. We worked all night to catch something. Daytime was not the time to fish for these professional fishermen. They, during the night, when the temperatures were cool and the fish would rise to the surface and they could catch fish. Secondly, it's an unusual request because as fishermen, you did not fish in the deep waters. They did not, had a rod, did not have a rod and reel. They did not have a hook and a lure. They had nets. And they fished only as deep as their nets could go. And in the deep parts of the water, the fish swam too deep for their nets to reach before they would have to pull them up again. And so here's Jesus making a very unusual request to Peter that for Peter makes no logical sense. Everything in his fishing instincts tells him Daytime's not the best time to fish, and the deep is not the best time to fish. My nets won't reach that far. And so Peter gives a little bit of a protest here. Master, we've toiled all night. We've actually fished all night long, and we didn't catch anything. They're not biting today. They're not catchable today. We've done our work. We've done our daily labor. And we come, came up short. We have nothing to show for our night's toil. It's as if Peter's looking at Jesus and saying, you know, we're the professionals in this area. We kind of know what we're doing. We do this day in and day out. This is how we make our living. In fact, we're the fishermen and, and you're not. And you're really asking us to do something that just will not work. Not only are they professionals who make their living by this, but in this moment, they're professionals who make their living by this and are humiliated because they didn't catch anything. Not only are they humiliated, they're tired. They were up all night trying to catch something. Not only are they tired, 
They don't want to fish. Verse 2, they are cleaning their nets. They're done for the day. They want to go home. They're convinced as professional fishermen, there's nothing to be caught right now. Let's clean our nets, shore our boats, and go home. And yet Jesus makes this request. Go to the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And though this goes against everything Peter understands in his heart and his mind, he has even an ounce of trusting in Christ and an ounce of obedience. And he says, at your word, I will let down the nets. So they go out, verse 6, and they did this, and they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets are starting to break. They have to signal to their partners, come over here and help us because we can't haul in this fish. And in fact, there's so many fish that both of the boats are beginning to sink. These guys are going to be astonished by this in verse 9. Peter had to trust that Jesus must have known at least something of what He's doing. And he had to trust enough to be obedient. Okay, it's not going to work in my mind, but I'm, I'm going to do it. We'll, we'll go out and, and see. This is blind trust and blind obedience for Peter. And church, that's the mark of a disciple. For Christ will often call us to do things that make no sense to us. Christ has a bigger plan. Christ is perfect in knowledge. He sees the span of history and He will call us to do things that we think won't work. Won't make sense. And yet we are to trust and obey anyways. I'm sure some of you have been there in life before. He calls you to a financial step of faith. He calls you to share the Gospel with someone you would think would never come to Christ. On and on down the list. The mark of a disciple is trusting in Christ and obeying Him. So the question now is, do you trust in Christ and obey Him? Do you strive in your obedience? Do you strive to trust Him more and more? Has He proven Himself trustworthy to you? Because obedience is the action of trust. We are called to Follow Jesus even when there is uncertainty and even when there is confusion. We are to trust His commands and obey them as best as possible. That is what we see Peter beginning to do here. And some of you, if we can be personal and honest this morning, this is the place that you are in in life right now. You are at that crossroads in your own life where you are having to choose, am I going to trust Christ or not trust Christ? Am I going to obey Christ or not obey Christ? Am I going to step out in faith or not? True disciples, trust in Christ. These men let down their nets. And they catch a number of fish that they were not expecting perhaps they caught more fish than what they would have caught the whole previous night fishing together they had to trust and obey the third thing we want to look at as a mark of a true disciple is you must be humbled by christ verse 8 9 in the first part of verse 10 you must be humbled by christ in this passage peter is taken from self-confidence and pride to humiliation and confession he thought he had 
figured it out and, and had known everything there was to know about the fishing industry, and yet here Christ does something that sparks within him a great deal of humiliation and a great deal of confession. The Lord performed a miracle and touched Peter in a way that was very close to him. The Lord deliberately, purposely performed a miracle in the area of Peter's expertise simply to prove His power to Peter. I want you to know that I'm doing something that's against your expertise, but I'm wanting you to know that I'm going to do it so you will know who I am. You will know that I am far greater than some mere man. And church, that's what struck Peter's heart. This, this isn't just some teacher sitting in my boat. Verse 9, they're astonished to the point that verse 8, Peter clings to Jesus' knees. He falls down to his knees. Peter has sparked within him a great sense of unworthiness in the face of Christ. And he does for two reasons. Number one, because he is confronted with the fact that Jesus is far greater than he is. This man is greater than I could ever dream to be. Here, Peter is all of a sudden, in one moment, in the span of a few conversations, he is confronted with a sense of glory. Here, in his own boat, doing his own work, he's confronted with a sense of the holy, isn't he? Here, he's confronted with a sense of true and genuine power. All of a sudden, after a long night's work, Peter is confronted with the divine. And as he realizes these things in his life, and as his heart begins to well up with the glory that he's witnessing, the power and the holiness and the divinity that he's witnessing in this far greater man, he's moved to a sense of true unworthiness. He's never heard someone teach like Jesus. But now he's never seen someone work and command the fish like Jesus. In one single moment, Peter is confronted with the fact that this is the Messiah. I want you to notice Peter's language even changes. Verse 5, he addresses Jesus as Master. Verse 8, he now addresses Him as Lord, there is a significant difference. When he calls him Lord, he's giving him the attributes of divinity. And so he cries out to Jesus because he knows himself to be unworthy to be in the presence of one such as this man. The defiant do not have that attitude. The defiant are confronted with the magnificence of God and instead they rebel. Disciples are confronted with the magnificence of God and are humbled. Peter here is moved by the transcendent nature of Jesus and he is humbled by his greatness. But secondly, Peter cries out, in his unworthiness because he knows he's unworthy to receive such mercy and such favor from this man, Jesus. I'm a sinful man, Lord. I don't deserve You being in my boat. I don't deserve You providing this fish for me. 
I don't deserve you blessing this catch. I don't deserve to witness one of your miracles. I, I don't deserve the fact that you choose to reveal yourself to me. I'm unworthy. What mercy is it that Christ reveals Himself to sinners? What mercy is it that God has given us His written Word that we may know Him? Peter is so moved by the greatness of Christ and by his unworthiness before Christ, he sees himself as unworthy to receive such graces. Who am I that you would reveal yourself to me, that you would do such works in my boat? I'm unworthy of this mercy to know you, to witness you. Peter's cry, church, is the natural cry of every sinner that comes face to face with Jesus. All throughout Scripture we see this testimony, don't we? We think back to Isaiah. He sees a vision of God and cries, Woe is me! He falls to the ground writhing in pain. We think of the disciple John in Revelation. He sees a vision of Jesus. He falls down like he is dead. We think of Paul who meets Christ on the road to Damascus. is blinded and fearful. We can think of Moses and Abraham and others. We think of Peter here who comes face to face with this man Jesus and has the right and natural response of a sinner. I am such a sinful, unworthy man. Depart from me. It's not as if Peter did not want Jesus. Peter simply knew Jesus was worthy of greater company than himself. You're worthy to be around people that are greater than I am. You're worthy of being around people who have more glory to lavish upon you than I am. True disciples are humbled by Christ. They witness His greatness. They know their sinfulness. They're moved by His mercy that He would even expose Himself, that He would even reveal Himself to them to be known. And they are humbled by that. They know it's a true miracle that Christ would come for them. That's why John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. That captain of a slave ship because he was so moved by such a grace of God that he would save someone like him. The fourth mark of a disciple we find at the end of verse 10 and in verse 11 it is that you go with Christ. So you're exposed to Christ, you trust in Christ and obey Christ, you're humbled by Christ, and now you go with Christ. It's no secret our Lord is far greater than you and I, but He's also so compassionate and so gracious towards us. He's so understanding towards us. Verse 10, He comforts Peter. Do not be afraid. He hasn't come to condemn. He hasn't come to, to deal out His wrath. He hasn't come to earth in anger. Let me be honest, that time's coming. But in this first coming of Christ, that's, that's not why He came. He came to give mercy. He came in grace. He came in patience. He came in love. As you'll see in verse 31 and 32, He's come to 
be the physician to the sick. He's come to call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He's come specifically for the broken. And so he looks to Peter and he says, don't, don't be afraid. You'll notice also that he doesn't rebuke Peter. He doesn't refute the fact that Peter's a sinful man. He doesn't refute the fact that Peter should be humbled by him, be humbled by his presence. You'll notice in Scripture when the angels are mistaken for Christ and worship, the angels always say, get up and do not worship me. Christ does not say that to Peter. Instead, he accepts his cry of unworthiness. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Yes, yes, you are. I'm unworthy to be in your presence. Yes, you are. But instead of casting him away, he comforts him. But don't be afraid. I've come for you. From now on, you will be catching men. Our Lord comforts and then our Lord calls. You have a new task now, Peter. Now you're going to cast the net of the gospel over men. And just as you labored in fishing, you will labor for the souls of men. Just like you spent all night toiling for fish, you're going to spend the rest of your life toiling for the souls of mankind. And just like the fish was hauled into your boat, so too will the gospel go forth from you and souls will be hauled into the kingdom. Here the Lord takes a sinful man unworthy to be in His presence and calls him to be a fisherman with Him. Calls him to be a disciple. Calls him to join in His work with Him. And so verse 11, when they get back to land, they leave everything and follow Him. You notice the load of fish that they caught in verse 6 and 7, they don't matter now. They don't care about their fish now. Something has happened in their lives. Something has sparked within them such devotion to this man Jesus. They leave it all behind and follow after Him. James and John even leave their father behind to follow after Him. Isn't that such a contrast to the rich young ruler? was unwilling to give up his riches to follow Christ. In fact, if you look in Luke chapter 9, let me read a couple of verses to you. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, Jesus is telling these people to count the cost of following him. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has Nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You have to forsake all to follow me. I'm priority number one. You forsake comfort, forsake family, forsake all things in life. Leave them behind and follow me. That's the calling of the disciple. That's what we see Peter, James, and John, and 
Andrew do here in verse 11 of Luke chapter 5. They're so moved by Christ. They've been exposed to His teaching. They've seen His trustworthiness. They've been humbled by His greatness. So now they're compelled to leave everything and follow after Him. That begs the question for us, have you been moved that way? Have you been so exposed to the teachings of Christ? Have you witnessed His trustworthiness? Have you been humbled by His greatness and His love extended to you that you would be compelled to forsake all and follow Christ? For these are the marks of a true disciple. These are the calling marks of every disciple. To leave everything is the only right and proper response of a disciple who genuinely knows Jesus. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8? Indeed, I count everything as a loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, I count everything as rubbish, as garbage, as trash, so that I may follow Christ. Oh, church, I pray that we would come to this place to where we would forsake everything to be fishers of men, to do the work of sharing the gospel, judge the health of a church by their evangelistic efforts. Because those who are truly moved and touched by Christ are evangelistic people. Those who are moved by the Gospel want to share the Gospel. Those who are moved by the love of God want to proclaim the love of God. Have you been so touched in your heart by Christ that you're willing to be a fisher of men? Church, that's why we have opportunities as a church family to have evangelism together. Because we've been so moved by Christ to be fishers of men. Cast the net of the Gospel in this world. So you have questions to ask yourself this morning. Do you possess the marks of a disciple? Do you sit under the teachings of Christ? Do you seek after His heart? Do you hunger for His Word? Are you striving to live by His commands? Do you trust and do you obey Christ? Are you surrendering all areas of your life to His Lordship? All areas of your life to His guidance and direction? Have you been humbled by Christ? Do you know His greatness and your depravity? Do you know the mercy that He extends? To call you alongside Him and work. Finally, are you going with Christ? Are you an evangelizing person? Do you fish for the souls of men with the Gospel of God? Those are the marks of a disciple and those are the callings of us all. Not just Peter. Not just Martin Luther. But every Christian. The whole point of this passage is that Jesus so struck Peter and the others with him that they would leave everything to follow him and catch men for the gospel. That's the whole point. And that's the point that we're asking you this morning. Have you been so struck by Christ to forsake everything, including fear, including reputation, to follow after Christ and fish for the souls of men? Have you been so moved by His Word, His power, His greatness, and His love to follow after Him with all your might? Disciples, none of them are perfect. But all of them are growing. 
All of them are pursuing. All of them bear these marks. Genuine and true disciples bear these marks. That's discipleship. That is Christianity. And that is your calling as a believer. It's my prayer, my hope, you would look at Peter's call this morning in Luke 5. You would see the Lord interact with Him and you would examine to see if these things are true about your life. If they are, praise God that He's working in your heart in such a way. And ask Him to grow you in these ways. To continue you on the right path of discipleship. If these things are not true of your life, you must examine your soul to see if you are a believer. Do you even have the desires for these things? Has Christ so worked His grace in your heart through salvation to give you a motivation to grow in these things? These are the questions we all must ask. These are the questions we all must answer for ourselves. Father, we thank You for Your calling upon our lives. That we have the great blessing of joining You in Your work to save humanity from their sins, God. We, we cannot save anybody in, of our, in and of ourselves, but God, we can share the Gospel of Your salvific work. Not only can we share the Gospel, O Lord, but You have commissioned us to share the Gospel Oh Lord, how I pray that these people, Your people this morning, would be moved by Your teachings. Be moved in their souls by Your Word. How I pray, God, that they would trust in You and obey You even in the moments where they cannot see the future and cannot understand. They would know You are trustworthy. Oh God, I pray that these people of Yours would be humbled by Your great love for sinners like us the great mercy and grace that You show us by revealing Yourself to us and calling us alongside You. God, this, this humility motivates us to go with You. I pray, Father, that You would make us a people who fish for the souls of humanity with the Gospel. That we would join You in Your calling, join You in Your work, that we would forsake everything to follow after You, God. None of us here are pretending that this is easy. But, O oh Lord, we call upon Your help to strike us within our hearts like You did Peter and James and John so that when push comes to shove, we would choose You every time. Let us grow in these marks. Let us grow in our discipleship, our faithfulness to You, our following of You. Let all these things be true of us for Your glory, O God. Thank You for working good things in our hearts. It's in Your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.